Sleepy Computer. Hello, uh, this is Sleepy Computer, and we're back after a little bit of a break. Yes, we are. Um, I hope everyone had a really good series of lockdowns, um, <laughs> which you'd think would be prime podcast creation time, but it just didn't really work like that. It didn't work. Um, I think you have to be in a good place to to enjoy the output for, of the computer. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the the mystical computer. Yeah. I, the podcast only works when we have something better to do that we should be doing instead. It's a procrastination vehicle. Yeah, exactly. When the government mandates you to be inside, that's not conducive to I, doing yeah. it because... I need something else to focus on. It needs to be illicit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's a taboo. So we do have an episode today. The episode is called Bees and Lollipop Man. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. And I can tell you that both of those things do feature in the episode. I love bees and I love men with lollipops. This so. is a pretty big one because this is a return of a good friend of ours, John. Oh, <gasps> John. Not the, John Meeks. John the detective. But Ooh. it's interestingly, it's not set in, uh, where was he from? Chicago. Yeah, I think he's from Chicago. It's, yeah, it's, or New York? I, you know what? It's a very good question. Like, it's been a long time. He's such a good detective that he works all around a bit like Poirot. Is he moonlighting? He's moonlighting. So he's actually working for the Met. No way. Okay, yeah. well, he's yeah. crossed the pond. Uh, which is the Metropolitan Police. Actually, London. to be fair, though, I think in that one, in that episode, he came to the UK. He's been to the UK before, so let's assume that the you know there's been cross... There's continuity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's assume that there's continuity. What a great, what a great approach to continuity that is. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll get straight into it. Fabulous. John took a drag from his cigarette and furrowed his brow as he looked at the crime scene. A detective inspector for the London Metropolitan Police for over 20 years. Okay, that's kind of blowing the continuity out of the water. Well, yeah. But we'll we'll carry on. (laughs) A detective inspector for the London Metropolitan Police for over 20 years, he'd never seen a scene as confusing as this one. For a start, it looked like a kidnapping. There were no signs of a struggle, and the boy was bound with cord. He must have been taken by surprise. The boy's clothes were soaking wet. He was wearing a jacket and jeans, which were now soaking on the floor. When it says... Does that mean he's he's pissed himself? (laughs) Or he's, like, currently, like... He's petrified. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. He was certainly stumped by how the body had even gotten into the room. There were no windows or doors. Oh, okay. So it's just a box. It's just a a featureless box. I don't actually know how John got in the room. Yeah, teleportation. He called over his assistant, Jenny Bombastic, leave it, for her opinion. (laughs) Jenny wore oversized spectacles, and she leaned over to get a good look at the boy. She was wearing a pink trench coat and black leggings that were tucked into her knee-high suede boots. It's a look. Yeah, just take a moment to picture that. She looked up at John with a puzzled look on her face. This is a pretty weird one, John, she said. The kid is all trussed up like a turkey, she continued. (laughs) He's just trussed up. He's just trussed up. As simple as that. He's a little trussed up. Wow. She was completely correct, of course. It was a pretty unusual scene. There was a strong smell of Febreze room spray, too. The advantage of Febreze's new Stay Fresh technology was that it didn't just keep an area fresh and odour-free for one night, but up to a week. 
The stench of the body, the cord, and the vomit all mingled together to create a sickly mix. So I'm I'm curious, are we being sponsored by Febreze? <laughs> this episode is, is actually not brought to you by Febreze. Oh, no way. Um, the computer just seems to be... A, a fan. It's certainly aware of the Febreze brand values. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> John's duty phone rang. It was a sales rep from Febreze. He picked it up. <laughs> And the rep explained that he had been alerted to the situation by his company's emergency service. We've just launched a new advertisement on television, uh, the rep said. How's the smell holding up? John had to explain to him that the smell of the body was being slightly subdued by the room spray, but the smell of sick was still clearly present. Is there anything we can do for you right now? The rep asked. Not at this moment, John replied. Unless, of course, you orchestrated this murder purely as the subtext for a television advertisement. The man said nothing and hung up. Later, John laid back... So, is this, like, the adverts where they're, like, blindfolded? Oh, yeah, and they walk them into the room, and they're like, oh, this is lovely, and then they take the blindfold off, and it's a dead body. It's a crime scene, and the (laughs) the guy's, like, trussed like a turkey. Uh, Yeah, I mean... It's one of those. Classic. Yeah. Later, John laid back in his office chair and tried to explain his frustration to Jenny. This is the third murder this week we can't explain, he gruffly asserted. It wasn't so much fun working on a case when they'd clearly been murdered in a room full of paint cans, room deodorant, and a bowl of grapes. The boy's mother was understandably beside herself because her missing son was supposed to be at school. Jenny asked what the boy's mother did for a living, and John had a pretty surprising answer. She's a cleaner, he continued. But she only cleans inflatable dolls and rubber gloves. It's really bizarre, even for this job. Jenny wasn't convinced that this was necessarily that helpful, but she made a mental note to keep an eye out for angry inflatable men. She might be able to interview them and place them at the scene. I've always thought the life models at the art school across the road had something to do with this stuff, Jenny said. John shook his head. No, that's just too far-fetched, even for me, he said. Nanette at the art school is in anger management. It's highly unlikely she did it. Her chakras are pretty much aligned now. Save the odd outburst. John was suddenly distracted. He heard something outside. It was a police siren. He had been lying there for several minutes, thinking about inflatable men, and he hadn't heard anything. This could be big news! He snapped. The police siren was only ever used when something exciting had happened, like the time a junior constable won the lottery, or when a pelican got run over by a tank. (laughs) John pulled himself together and stormed out of the office and into the reception area. Sure enough, the sight that greeted him there was almost enough to send him into a stress-induced catatonic state. The wall was absolutely covered in bees. Talk about an up yours, said the bees in unison. Did they want to negotiate? They said again. John started taking off his clothes one by one. For God's sake, John, Jenny urged. That will just agitate them. John continued to strip. He knew what he was doing. He strode towards the queen bee and pointed a ruddy finger at her. Listen, love, he said. We have a lot to talk about, and I don't need you buzzing around me, distracting me. The queen bee started flapping her wings, and John took a step back. Oi, listen up, he barked. If you know what's good for you, you'll buzz off. I've had it up to here with you, picnic-ruining little pests. His shirt, trousers, and shoes laid crumpled in a heap on the floor. His boxer shorts were swinging around his waist. 
The queen bee seemed intrigued. John took a step towards her. I warned you, I fancy me some honey. He took a swing at the bee, but two other members of the constabulary held him back. He took punch after punch into the air as they dragged him off, swearing and shouting, Curse you bees! This is a waste of time, thought Jenny, and they called in the bee whisperers and gave the bees a Section 25 notice to disperse. It's, it's gone very um, Call of Duty. <laughs> or Line of Duty. <laughs> it's gone both Call cool and Line of Duty. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you need the bees to disperse. You've got to serve them a Section 25. It's the only way to get them to leave. Buzz off. Little Timmy's mum had long since given up on the idea that Derek, the jolly crossing guard that used to high-five the kids as they walked to school, had anything to do with her son's disappearance, and wasn't the slightest bit alarmed to see Derek emerge with a shovel from his van. Good morning, Derek, she called out, surprisingly cheerily for a woman in mourning. Derek gave her a cheeky wink and held the shovel aloft. This isn't for your son, he joked. It's for me to bury all those other kids. She laughed. He was such a joker. Derek mimed, digging on the spot, wiping his brow. It looked like hard work. I certainly hope so, she said. Did you find anything in that forest? Hmm? Derek pondered. What forest? Which forest? No one ever goes there. He pointed off into the distance and looked wistful. The kids just disappear off the face of the earth. Or thin air. Dashing into the wilderness. Timmy's mum looked a little confused. She was surprised that Derek would know so much about the forest. His feet were so tiny. I didn't come out here to discuss forest matters, she said, trying to signal to Derek that it was time to get going before the signal changed and the cars came. I have to get to the garden centre to buy some herbs, explained Timmy's mum. What shoe size are you, by the way? Nursing shoe size, too, said Derek, pointing his dainty toe at her. Or at least she thought it was pointing at her. At this size, it was genuinely hard to tell. (laughs) She hurriedly collected her herb bags and scuttled off like a crab to the garden centre. Derek tossed the shovel into a wheelie bin, locked up and drove off. (laughs) So he's got teeny tiny feet. Like little little baby feet. He has what I believe we're calling nursing shoe size. Size two. So I think nursing shoe size is a yeah. size, and then within that, There's there size. are sizes. So that's really, that's a small that's, shoe. He's got baby feet. He has actually got his... Chattering. Yeah, and yet, oh. and yet it's Timmy's mum who scuttles like a crab. Yeah. <laughs> she scuttles off. That was, that was genuinely surprising to me. She's got exit stage left. <laughs> I, just, wi- I just picture her, like, castanetting away. Yeah, yeah. With her she's little herb bags. Like, oh, there goes the widow. Oh, wait, she's not, so she's not a widow, is she? She's a... Um... What's the opposite of an orphan? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. That's quite. That sounds like a dark joke. Yeah, it does. I don't know the opposite of an orphan is. Please write in with punchlines for what is the opposite of an orphan. Um, <clears throat> okay, cool. Jenny called up John with some news. She'd agreed with him months ago to use code names when using the telephone, and she wasn't about to stop now. Hello, could I speak to Alice? Said Jenny. Of course, Mrs. Gotts. Said the receptionist. I'll just put you through. And finish painting my toenails. There was a pause, then John's voice answered. All right, big nose. What was that, John? Is that how you've always talked to me when we're on the telephone? Asked Jenny. 
Oh, go boil your head, said John, quite pleased with the way he'd just spoken to her. What's the news? I've just been down the garden centre, said Jenny, and I bumped into Timmy's mum. She was buying some herbs, and she mentioned that she'd seen Derek, the crossing guard, earlier in the day. She's asked for his shoe size, and he said he wears a nursing shoe. John sat back and thought for a minute. He picked up his case notes and looked through for any references of footprints. How big is a nursing shoe? He asked Jenny. They're between three or four inches, so I think they might be quite difficult to spot, Jenny said. But it is a bit of a coincidence, don't you think? John put down his notes and started tapping his finger rhythmically. It's true, the suspect they had in mind had feet. Everyone reckons their story holds the key to Timmy's disappearance, said John. So I think we should pay Timmy's mum a visit. You're going to visit Timmy's mum, exclaimed Jenny. That's so cool. I hope you have a really nice time and she offers you a plate of cookies. If she does, said John, I'm going to sell them on the internet for a quick buck. So don't hang around waiting for me. No problem. I'll be down the pub, said Jenny, arching her back <laughs> like a cat. I also like the fact that um, the the suspect had feet. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the suspect they had in mind had feet. Definitely. Because there were, there were foot, not everybody has feet, but there were footprints at the scene. So. Mm-hmm. John knocked on Timmy's mum's front door. Everyone following, that's complicated. Yeah. Timmy's mum's front door. John knocked on Timmy's mum's front door with a long cane. He'd carried a cane ever since Timmy's disappearance. He was looking for a little mystery in his life, but the thought of that nice cup of tea was calling him in. Oh, hello, hello, chirped Timmy's mum as she opened the door and saw John stood there. Hello, I'm John and I've come to see you about the Timmy case, said John. And he gave Timmy's mum a little wink. Oh, (laughs) Oh, yes, hello, she said. She didn't realise John would be so tall or so handsome. Miss Timmy's mum, have you ever seen this man before? Asked John, and he pulled up a photograph of Timmy's dad. Oh, yes, uh, I have seen him, said Timmy's mum, before explaining that her husband worked as a hairdresser on an oil rig. Very niche. Yeah. John asked if there was much call for that sort of thing, and she said, Yes, more than you might think. Men can get quite shaggy in that mud, you know? Well, thank you for your time, said John, and he put his pencil and notebook back in his satchel. Oh, before you go, could I use the bathroom? She suggested he go in the sink. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's, yeah, it's her house. She's not going anywhere. She's staying put. He's evicted her. (laughs) As John walked into the kitchen, he started opening cupboards and drawers. The kitchen was an unusual shape, a perfect hexagon. Wow, I like it. John grabbed two glasses and filled them up with milk from the tap. (laughs) He found a calendar on the wall which contained only two dates, April the 30th, 2005, and January the 15th, 2006, both Pancake Day. Either Timmy's dad couldn't tell the time, or he liked to keep himself to himself. Oh, what lovely custard creams, sighed Timmy's mum from the next room. He opened a cutlery drawer, and it was quite surprised at what he'd found. It wasn't a knife, it wasn't a fork... It wasn't a spoon. The only thing in the drawer was a small fish knife, around 3.8 inches, with pointed ends, like a shoe. (gasps) What's this doing in here? He asked himself. Why would a couple who adore pancakes so much have no means of eating them? He strode into the front room, where Timmy's mum was waiting eagerly, polishing off the last of the biscuits and icing a giant key lime (laughs) pie. Now that's a good-looking pie, said John. And I can tell you're a good little cook. 
but I think we have some unfinished business. What exactly do you want? I need you to accompany me down to the station. I think we need to have a little chat about your husband's cutlery collection. She scowled and launched herself into the air. The key lime pie exploded <laughs> and meringue went in John's eye. Oh no. Temporarily blinded, he stumbled into one of the chairs and collapsed onto the pie. Timmy's mum leapt on top of him, ripping the pie from his hands and slamming it down on his head. She ran from the room, brandishing a cake slice and calling out to her husband. The husband clambered out of the understairs cupboard, dressed in latex. There was clearly more to his job than meets the eye. John burst into the hallway and fired his service revolver at a leaping Timmy's mum. <laughs> Timmy's... <laughs> she doesn't have a name. Timmy's dad appeared, eyeing his gun hungrily, as if wondering where he'd seen it before. John fired again, but Timmy's dad had grabbed the gun and set about eating it. So you think you're hard? said Timmy's dad, in between mouthfuls of gun. You're going to get a reckoning when I shoot bullets out of my arse, he said. And he whipped out what was left of John's service revolver, and then he drove it so far up his own backside <laughs> that it exploded. The sounds echoed around the house, and John had to cover his ears as Timmy's dad leapt up off the ground. Bullets ricocheted off the walls and ruined a priceless tapestry <laughs> depicting the Battle of Lewisham. John tried to duck behind a china dog, but Timmy's dad leapt over him, and the dog shattered into a tiny thousand pieces. John was running out of ideas and out of figurines. He craftily constructed a makeshift shield out of two copies of a Muppet's Christmas Carol and hid behind it. Timmy's dad threw his weight behind it and it came crashing down. The carols went flying everywhere and several Muppets became embedded in the ceiling. Oh my god! There's destruction everywhere! shouted Gonzo. <laughs> John looked around for something to use as a weapon, but all he had was a box of fruit, which he used to defend himself. He pushed a Granny Smith into Timmy's dad's eye and sent a volley of ripe pears at his left breast. Being at sea for several months, Timmy's dad had in fact developed what was termed oil rig scurvy, a condition in which the human body, on contact with fresh fruit and vegetables, turns to stone. Timmy's dad tumbled backwards onto his wife in a way that was not at all erotic, as she made clear by announcing, I haven't had a shag in ages. Loud sirens heralded the arrival of the police backup, and both parents, Evidence, Muppets and John, were recalled to the police station. Jenny placed a hand on John's shoulder. A good job well done, mate, she said. Hell, said John. It was only a country that needed saving. <laughs> And that's it. That's, that's the, wow! That's Holy moly! Wow. Okay. I mean, there's a lot here. Um, I think I want to go backwards. So let's start with the very end. Was the country saved? Was the country saved? <laughs> Maybe. Um, like I, I think John's brought over. Realistically, I think John's brought over this American sense of of saving of the this day. hero complex. And I imagine in the Met. Mm. Would not. That's not going to land, is it? No. They're going to be like, all right, like leader. Maybe that's why he went to New York. Back yeah, to New York. Did he go back to New York? I don't know. Is this a prequel? Oh, oh, I don't know. I was, I was envisioning a prequel. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, fine. I mean, look, I, yeah, I think he's going to struggle to gel with the rest of the team. Absolutely. If, if he thinks he's saved other country, <laughs> not even the country, our country. Our country. It was only a country that needed saving. Yeah, Papua New Guinea. We don't know. Absolutely. Um, uh, we've got to talk about the Muppets. Oh yeah, so the, so he hid behind a copy of the Muppet Christmas Carol, but then 
Well, famously, when you break a copy of the Muppets <laughs> Christmas Carol, all of the characters rush out. A lot of Because people... that's where they're held. Yeah, and you have to be careful doing that. You can try this experiment at home. If you break open the DVD, whatever is recorded onto the DVD will spill out. It just spills out because it's contained within the... The lasers. Yeah. It's all lasers. It's all encoded yeah, into the disc. Famously. So, um, you know, if you break a copy of Kitchen Nightmares, Gordon Ramsay will come out of the disc and shout at you. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's something to be to be wary of. Yeah. Um, but n- nice to see an unlicensed uh, instance of Gonzo yeah, with a no. line. Um, so please, please. It was good. To, it was good to see you again. Yeah. Um, there was a tapestry, the Battle of Lewisham, famous battle. Not familiar with the Battle of Lewisham. There possibly was one. Yeah. Um, it happened in Lewisham. Yeah. And um, it was between Henry the Seventh and, and Argos Extra. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. Um, oh yeah, the guy shot bullets out of his ass. He shoved it. He shoved. <laughs> but uh, he'd been eating a gun. Yeah. And then he took what was left and shoved it so far up his ass that he shot bullets out of it I think amazing I think what's happened here because obviously that's quite a strange thing I think the AI has confused the rhetoric of the fight as in you know I'm gonna put you on your ass pop a cap in your ass I'm gonna pop a cap in your ass and then it's it's mixed that up with the actual actions of the people in the fight and it's been like you know the assailant put a gun inside his own ass there was a gun in his bum and it shot bullets and it exploded so I don't, did he die at that point I uh, know no because he still that was before the China dog that also exploded yeah lots of explosions lots of explosions out of a giant meringue pie <laughs> oh yeah yeah Fabulous. it was a key lime pie does that have meringue I don't know yeah I don't know um, um cake slice oh gosh and he also turned to stone and fell on top of his wife oh, and yeah. she famously said I haven't had a shag in ages <laughs> I don't, like, did she die? No, she didn't die because she was romantic. She was just in custody. pinned un- under her, her Medusa yeah. petrified husband. Didn't know about um, oil rig scurvy or that that varied in any way from um, normal scurvy. I assume it's exposure to the petrochemicals. Also, he was in a gimp suit, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was, was in a full on gimp there suit. There was more to his job. Wow. What does it say? There was more to his job than first appeared. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if the idea is that he's. You know, hairdresser on an oil rig, in retrospect, actually, sounds um, sort of euphemistic, right? Oh, my God, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, you know, my mate, Keith, he's a bit of a hairdresser on an oil rig. rig. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's what's going on. Uh, The kitchen was a perfect hexagon. Oh, Pancake Day, which is not in April or January, I don't think. Um, Yeah, I mean, very odd end scene. But I quite liked it because there was a twist... The and twist was that, yeah, it was t- uh, it was Timmy's mom oh, that they, killed him. They used a fish knife to make imprints at the scene. Oh, right! That happened to be the same size as the uh, lollipop man or crossing guard's tiny feet. Oh yeah, she! Oh my god, she set up Keith. I think it was. I love that you only just got it. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, she set um, she set the crossing guard up. What a bitch! Yeah, and the crossing guard. But the crossing guard, like, didn't go down for it. No, no, he didn't. Um, (laughs) Holy moly. So, that's a bit unusual. Um, And, you know, he he had such a small shoe. It was a tiny little... uh, I didn't even even know where you get shoes that small. um, Baby Gap. Baby Gap. The bees. The bees were a bit unusual. They didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, they weren't used. But, like, maybe it was just a thing. Does this happen at the Met where all of a sudden the 
the wall will be covered in bees? I think maybe in the atrium they have one of these, like, green walls. Okay. With, like, grass on it, like Singapore. And then... The only way to get rid of them is to strip. It must have happened in the past, actually, that a bee has swarmed inside a police station. Yes, that definitely, specifically a police station. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. I mean, it must happen. And I, as you say, I don't know why John felt the need to take his clothes off. I, I wouldn't say that's something that John does a lot. No. Um, but I guess... Uh, I, I think he tried to seduce the queen bee. Oh, he did, but it didn't work. He, and like, then he... <laughs> he, like, negged... The bee. Yeah, exactly. was like, listen here, love. I don't need any of your... Your clap honey. Tra- your claptrap. Yeah. And then he, like, tries to fight... The bee. An entire swarm of Oh, bees. yeah, the bees. Um, oh, but it was nice. It was, like, his own Oprah Winfrey moment. Yes, yeah, with all the bees. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. I mean... Oh, we used to talk about Nanette. Nanette at the art school. Oh, right, yeah. But her chakras are aligned. They're so all... she's good. <laughs> pretty... Annette is good. Hang on, hang on. The phrase is pretty much aligned. Pretty much So aligned. she's obviously still got an edge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's in anger She's working through it. Yeah. She's got issues, but she she's She couldn't have killed it. that child. Uh, she's in anger management now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, and Timmy's mum's a cleaner. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, but that makes sense because he was clean, wasn't he? The no, boy. he was t- dressed up like a turkey. No, he was dressed up like a turkey. That's very similar to being clean, isn't it? Yeah, very similar. <laughs> in your mind. Actually, you know what? This I think the AI is sort of getting it because like, at the beginning, yeah. he was like, it's like a kidnapping, but it's not because there's no, like, didn't he say there was no sign of struggle? Yeah, there was no so sign of struggle. So definitely Timmy would have known his assailant. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. Are we at that level? Yeah, maybe. I, don't, I mean, like, no, maybe. I like it. I, I like think it. It's, this I, is like, this is the bit at the end where you just sort of wrap everything up like Columbo. Uh, All the clues oh, were there. And it, yeah, I'm walking out and I'm like, ah, one, oh, wait. One last thing. Yeah, one last thing yeah. I want to ask you. Do you know what John Meeks is a lot like Columbo? Well, he did actually say one last thing. <laughs> can I, it's can true. I piss in your sink? <laughs> <laughs> you, of course you can, but you'll have to piss in the sink. Yeah, I felt like that, that was a bit out of care. Yeah. Actually, I wonder if it's a bit like when um, a posh people have workmen around and they don't let them use the, the John. Oh, right, yeah, because they're afraid they're going to do like a double decker uh, or whatever. <laughs> working class poo yeah exactly yeah which, you can't have that in the toilet no absolutely which, which not in the john obviously ridiculous um jay bombastic fantastic yeah, yeah. like yeah wow great I, good for her yeah um we did we she to be honest she didn't deliver a lot like she mainly just kept the story moving yeah but i mean that's what we needed that's why i read you know her. what um john meeks has like a succession of Female, like yeah, like Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I, they don't. Sorry, they don't have to be female, do they? On Doctor Who, you can, you no. can have a male um, assistant, can't you? I don't. I don't really know. I don't watch it, but um, companion yeah. is what they're called. A companion. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah, he does seem to pair a lot with, and yeah. I want you know, there's a there's a bias in the AI there, right? Absolutely. That it's yeah. like the, the assistant detective. Uh, actually, we don't. I don't know what Jenny Bombast. <laughs> I don't know what Jenny Bombastic's uh, job is. I don't know what her CV is. She's the co-pilot or whatever. Co-dependent? What? What's the... Not co... Co-something? When you're uh, partners. I think I'm thinking of his partner. 
Yeah, I think that's the word partner. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like a police. Yeah, yeah it was uh, in my head. I was like co-anchor, but that's not really. Yeah, that's it. Co-anchor. That's it. The police co-anchor. <laughs> Famously. Yeah. No, that is what she is. Um, no. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what she. Yeah. Maybe they're just partners. And but I didn't know if she was. So sometimes he gets paired with someone who's in forensics or something. I loved her look though. I gotta get that. <laughs> Steal look. her look. That uh, pink, tr- pink trench coat. Which actually, on its own, pink trench coat. Fabulous. So, like, I'm picturing, like, a Clouseau trench coat, but shocking pink. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, black leggings, which you wouldn't really see me, tucked into knee-high suede boots. Like, I mean, if... if Usually when it tries to describe clothing, it's all over the place, but, but actually... But here, it's boombastic. It is boombastic. Yeah, Like, I love is. it. I'm, I'm here for it. Oversized spectacles. Hmm. Mm. I don't Great. know if that means, like, the lenses are big or just very thick. I'm, okay, so in my head, yeah. I'm picturing, like, 80s-style, like, big and bold and beautiful. Like, you know those, like... Like Deirdre Barlow. Yeah, yeah, where they're, they're like... Big. Which is only going to resonate for some people, but you can Google that. Google Deirdre Barlow. Yeah, um, it, absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good shout. Because um, it just goes with the whole look. Yeah. That, she is very 80s. Yes. In yeah. general, I yeah, think. I think that's right. Um, okay, cool. Well, look, I mean, I think that was actually one of the more co- um, coherent ones. Absolutely. From a, from a plot perspective. But it was nice to see um, see John Meeks again. I missed him. Yes, and I wonder what John's been up to. And maybe we'll hear more from John. Uh, for me, the murder mystery angle, or whatever, whatever we're calling this, the police procedural angle, mm. I think works really well with the AI. I think yeah. it would be my favourite genre. So maybe I'm just going to do more of that. But... Um, We'll have to see. So uh, it's the first one in a while, but feel free to subscribe and there'll be, I'm sure there'll be more of them. Um, and it just leaves time for us to wrap up with a word from our sponsor this week, uh, which is, of course, Febreze and their new Stay Fresh technology, which can keep an area free of the smell of a corpse for up to one week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs>